the Word of God says. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when their owners, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I mentioned earlier that uh, we're, we're going through this series in, in Acts, specifically this section that we're in in uh, chapters uh, 15 to 19. It's called To the World. To the World. Again, Acts 1.8 says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so now we're seeing Paul and Silas and his band of disciples and missionaries. They're going into places that the gospel had never been taught or heard or received before. We talk about living scent around here. What does that mean? In fact, we're going to close our service today. Dave is going to do our final word of benediction as we go. And he's going to say, as we go, we're going to love Christ and live sin. If you're new here, you may be wondering, what in the world does that mean? Well, it's shorthand way for us around here to remember that our journeys as Christians each week doesn't end when the Sunday service ends. 
Our journey in following Jesus does not end as soon as we close this service here today. In fact, we believe it's just the beginning of a week of living sent. We desire to take the commands of Jesus seriously. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus told his disciples, Go and make disciples of all nations. I already recited Acts 1.8 to you. You'll be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Here's our mission as Fairfax Bible Church. It's to glorify God by making disciples of all nations as we live in loving community. So we want to live sent. Going out wherever we go as a community, it requires us as a, as a group together to take on this command very seriously, but it means that each of us as individuals have to take this command really seriously. We're going to live sent in our homes at our jobs, in our relationships, on our vacations, in our conversations over coffee, our trips to the grocery store, our walks in the park. We're walking in the world in many of the same rhythms as our neighbors and friends who do not yet have the same commitment, but we do it seeking opportunities to be witnesses to what Jesus has done. That's what it means to live sent. Now, some of, for some of us, that means that we go to places like North Africa or Europe or Asia or, or South America or whatever to go to places where the, the gospel is not really taught and we want to go and, and, and help people see the good news of Jesus and hear it. So sometimes that means that we actually go far, far away, but that doesn't mean that we don't live sent in the everyday stuff of life that you and I experience. We want to be as effective as possible. So we pray for open doors. We pray that God would open hearts as we live sent, that he would clear pathways for us, that we would get those promotions at work, not just to serve ourselves for a better paycheck or better benefits or whatever, but because we want to live sent, right? We're praying that, Lord, would you allow us to have co cooperation with our coworkers and neighbors and bosses so that we can be as effective as we possibly can be to live sent. But, but as we saw in this passage today, that doesn't always happen, right? Sometimes believers, those who are seeking to live sent like Paul and Silas, they face serious, serious opposition. Doors sometimes close. Sometimes hearts get hard to the message of the gospel. Sometimes our paths get cluttered with obstacles. We don't get that promotion sometimes. Sometimes we're passed over. Sometimes we might even get demoted or laid off. Sometimes the cooperation that we're praying for, it just kind of evaporates, and instead what's left is opposition to living scent. What then? <laughs> right? What then? God, is, is something going on here? Have I made a mistake thinking that I was sent to, to live scent in this place? Is that a sign that, that God had different plans, that, that, you know, that, that I've been nullified, that I've defeated, that the mission of Jesus in my life, in your life, our lives, living sent, should be put on hold when we encounter opposition? I think we're going to see something different from Paul and Silas' approach today. In fact, our story, it's all about facing opposition as you live sent. Paul and Silas are outnumbered, they're overpowered, they're imprisoned, they're humiliated, and they must be thinking to themselves, at least I would be tempted to, hey man, coming to Philippi, this was a mistake. What in the world are we doing here? Right? Have you ever been there before? This was a mistake. Things aren't working out like I thought. God doesn't, he's closing doors. There's no opportunities here. Too much opposition. We thought there would be an open door here. What's going on? Boy, we were, we were totally, totally wrong. 
But I think this story teaches us an extremely significant lesson. If you want to live sent here, I think this lesson is for you today. That when we face opposition, God can open opportunities to live sent. That's our big idea today. Our Lord and Savior, who is Jesus, can turn opposition into opportunities. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the mighty, powerful Son of God, He could take closed doors and He can blow them wide open. He could take a demotion and use that opportunity then to share the good news of Jesus Christ and live sent. I was just playing with, praying with a brother today. He's been going through a lot at work and he's facing uh, opposition from someone he loves dearly because that loved one, that friend got laid off and he got, he got remained in the job and he feels that opposition and I'm just praying with him, Lord, help him to see, help us to see where's the opportunity to live sent in the midst of this opposition But we'll see it in three ways here from this text. First of all, we'll see spiritual opposition. We see physical opposition, and we see political opposition. I mean, these are daunting, right? Daunting. Spiritual opposition? You mean there's a whole other world that I can't see that's against me? Yep. Physical opposition? You mean I could actually get beaten and put in jail because I'm living sin? Yep. What about political opposition? Praise God that we, many of us, we, we have the privilege to get to vote and have a say in how our government's run. But guess what? That could turn on its head in a moment. In fact, we've got brothers and sisters all over the world that face political opposition every single day to living sent. Does that mean that we stop? No, because we believe our Lord and Savior can turn opposition into opportunities to live sent. Let's take a look at the first one together, the spiritual opposition. It says in verse 16 that, that as Paul and Silas are going down to the, to the place to pray, they encounter this slave girl, and it says that she has a spirit of divination. If you, if you look at the original language, it says it's a spirit of a python. Isn't that odd? It's a snake spirit, a serpent spirit. It refers to the ancient Greek divinity Pythia, who was a soothsaying or fortune-telling divinity who was defeated by Apollos. And Apollos inherited her powers. And so Apollos' central place of worship in Greek, this Greek god, uh, it was in Delphi, Greece. And so this Apollos had uh, fortune-telling priestesses known as Pythia. Fortune-tellers, soothsayers. And they served Apollos. So this fortune-telling python spirit was known to inhabit women and girls and people revered the spirit as the voice of God, as the voice of Apollo through these soothsayers. And so this spirit has overtaken this slave girl. And she's speaking under the power of demonic forces. Did you know that demonic forces have a lot of power? I mean... Telling the future. Now, I, I can't get into all of, you know, what, what it means, you know, Satan and his demons and the spiritual realm. But, but we see from this that this, 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 this little girl, this little girl, this enslaved girl is telling the fortunes of others. Friends, stay away from fortune telling. Stay away from that stuff. That stuff is dangerous. You may think, well, there's truth there. Yeah, well, even demons can tell the truth. We want to be the people that hear the voice of the one true God. But here's this little girl She's under the power of this soothsaying spirit of a python, this fortune-telling. And she's going around. And look at what she's saying, though. Verse 17. She's following Paul and Silas and saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That's actually kind of an awesome message, right? It's, the problem wasn't so much with the message. It was the problem was with the messenger. 
You see, what was happening here is that this spirit, this evil spirit was actually using this as an opportunity to acknowledge the truth, but say, the source is coming from me. So it was in a sense, this demonic force was kind of trying to gain power over the authority so that people wouldn't listen to Paul and Silas. Oh yeah, yeah, these men are, are, are from the most high God and they're proclaiming you to the way of salvation. But look at me and listen to my voice, the spirit is saying to this little girl. We know Jesus, he encountered demonic spirits uh, who also declared him as the son of the most high God. And instead of Jesus accepting that worship from the demons, he said, shut up. You need to stop right here because you're trying to deceive people and steer people away from the way and the truth and the life who's Jesus. Friends, don't give any audience to the voices of evil spirits, even, as, even if it seems as if they're speaking the truth. In fact, we're called in scriptures to test the spirits, to see if they're from God. Not just saying what God wants to say, but are they from God himself? Friends, be very discerning. We want to pray that we have a discerning spirit so that we would listen to God as he's spoken in his word. Don't listen to a man. Don't listen to a woman. Don't listen to any voice on television or radio if they don't come with scripture from what God has said, speaking on God's behalf. And so we see Jesus encountered in a demonic spirit just like this. And he said, be quiet. And Paul, finally, he gets so disturbed in his spirit after many days. He turns around and he says to this spirit and the little girl, I command you. Now, it's interesting here. He doesn't say, I command you to come out of her. He says, I command you in what? In the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. You see, there is no match for the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Paul and Silas knew, even as, as apostles, they knew we don't have power over the spiritual realm, but we are united to one who has all power and all authority over all kingdom, visible and invisible in all the universe, and his name is Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. James 1.19, James is criticizing his audience because they're talking about having this belief that has no real effect in their lives, and he says, your faith is as good as a demon's faith. You've got a demon's faith. He says in James 1.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. They shudder. Friend, the kind of faith that we have isn't just to acknowledge that God is real and that he is one, but it's actually to bow in obedience to this God. See, the demons, they can confess, oh, we know who this God is. We know who this Jesus is, but we will not bow to him. And they stand in, in shuddering and in fear over the power of this one true God. You see, what happened here in the midst of this spiritual opposition Paul and Silas, they may think to themselves, well, this place is full of demons. Let's get out of here. No, no, no. In the name of Jesus, let's stand up. And in the name of Jesus, I command you, come out of her. They saw the opportunity. Well, what was the opportunity? They set this slave girl free. I can't imagine what this must have been like. This little girl being exploited by wicked, wicked men that are using the power of demonic forces over her as a means to gain wealth. But Paul and Silas, in the name of Jesus, set this little girl free. Now, the text isn't totally clear what happens to this little girl afterwards, but I've got to believe, friends, they bring her in, bring her into the family of Jesus. Maybe she's an orphan. Maybe they bring her into Lydia's household and say, you become a mother to this little girl. But whatever the case is, in the midst of the spiritual opposition, Paul and Silas see an opportunity, an opportunity to say, we are going to stand in the name of Jesus Christ, be set free. That's the power of Jesus, friends. 
That's the power of Jesus. The slave girl being set free, it demonstrates his power, not just to her, not just to her owners, but to the entire city of Philippi. There is power in the name of Jesus. He has no rival, no rival. You may think that there's all kinds of power in this fortune telling, but there's ultimate power in the name of Jesus. Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus, through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's to believe to be the rulers and authorities of the spiritual realm in the universe. And listen to what he did in his, in his, in his resurrection. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He put them to open shame. By triumphing over them. I love this verse in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Speaking of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus, the Son of God, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There have been moments in my life that I have felt, man, I am terrified of the spiritual realm and I'm in a dark room, dark night of the soul, and I just feel like I'm under the attack of Satan. And I remember Hebrews 1.3. I remember Colossians 2.15. And I say, oh, no, no, no. I've been united to one that has no rival. And his name is Jesus. I trust in you. I confess his name. I say it out loud. You're the radiance of the glory of God. And you're the exact imprint of, of the nature of God. You uphold the universe by the word of your power. There is no demon in the universe that can say that. Jesus can. And he does. I want to ask you today, we think about this spiritual opposition. Now, we're modern people. <laughs> we are people that believe in medicine. We are people that believe in science. We are people that, that trust that there are ways that God has designed this world that have real natural causes and effects. But the more and more we dive into that, the temptation is, is that we ignore the fact that not only are there natural forces at work in this world, but that there are supernatural forces at work in this world. And so the temptation is that we think that, uh, that I just would like to be, remain ignorant about this. Friends, I want to let you know the spiritual realm is real. You can't claim ignorance over this. It's real. Ignorance is not the answer. But here's also not the other answer. Because when you start to think about this, you can get really intimidated, right? I'm, I'm afraid to even go out my house, right? Or I'm even afraid to leave my room, right? Friend, just because, just like ignorance is not the answer, neither is fear. Jesus is more powerful than every spirit, including Satan. So we sing, I love the hymn, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels, good and evil, prostrate, fall, bring forth the royal diadem, crown him Lord of all. There is no spiritual opposition that you could face that can stand in the way of you living sent. In fact, God and our Lord Jesus guided Paul and Silas to see there was an opportunity in this moment to set that little girl free. Not only that, but they faced physical opposition. We see the second part here, physical opposition. What happened after this? Here, Paul and Silas, they did a good thing. They set a prisoner free. They set a slave girl free, and they did something good to get this demonic force out. What happens to them? They get dragged. They get dragged through the city. They get dragged into the marketplace. Uh, it says here in verse 20 that it says these men are Jews. That's believed that that's probably a kind of a racist, anti-Semitic statement, right? These men are Jews. They're not one of us. They already don't belong here. And not only do they not really belong here, but they're speaking things and saying things that, that are against our customs as Romans. You see, what was, what was believed to be the, the core value of religious life in the Roman Empire was religious tolerance. You, you, you worship 
who you want to worship, I'm going to worship who I want to worship. Just stay out of my business. Stay out of my belief. They were pagans. They believed in many gods. And any god you wanted, that's, that's acceptable. That's fine. Pick your god. Have a ball. Do what you want to do, but don't get in the way of my worship and my business. And Paul and Silas, they had come onto the scene and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. They were proclaiming the exclusivity and the authority and the power of Jesus. And so they get dragged in through the streets and the leaders, the magistrates, they, they see that they're causing this commotion and they say, let's beat them. They're beaten with rods and inflicted with many blows. This painful beating was meant to be a deterrent to them. And they were thrown in prison. All of this, physical opposition. Maybe it's time to tone the language down a little bit, Paul. Maybe, maybe it's time to like back the truck up a little bit, Silas. Maybe you've gone a little too far here to live sent. You've gotten beaten, dragged through the city, and now you've been thrown in prison. This opposition's too much. I don't know that you could live sent through this. I know I would be tempted in this moment, friend. I'll just be real honest with you, real transparent. I'm sitting here. Imagine yourself in this prison now, in the inner, inner cell of the prison, the darkest, coldest, hardest place in the prison. There they are in the stocks, suffering, beaten, bloodied, bruised. I'd have to tell you, I'd have to be asking myself, what in the world are we doing this for? Lord, did, did we do the right thing? Lord, did we make a mistake? And even worse, did you make a mistake, Lord, in bringing us here? This can't be your plan for us, for me. What's going on? How can we live sent from this prison? You called us to Philippi to go and, and live sent and preach the gospel. How in the world are we supposed to live sent here? That would be my attitude. That wasn't their attitude. What do Paul and Silas do in response to this physical opposition? They sing. They pray. They sing hymns. I mean, you can almost imagine it's dark, it's, it's wet, it's cold, it's, it's awful, they're bloodied, they're bruised, they're in the stocks with their feet, they're sitting on the ground, and their heads are against the wall, and blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste. I mean, it's amazing to think about. Singing hymns. Thank you, Lord, that we were counted worthy to suffer in your name. What a response. Singing, praying, singing hymns to God. There was a song I, I sang at the church I came from in California. I love this song. It says, he will let nothing separate me from his love. I may have sorrows. I may have woes. My friends may come and my friends may go, but he will let nothing, including this prison, separate me from his love. Singing songs, singing hymns, reminding themselves of the truth of the gospel, of why they were sent there in the first place, and then just waiting and saying, Lord, we don't know what in the world it is you're doing, but we're going to wait for you. We're going to wait for you. I want to ask you, what do you do when you face opposition? What's the response of your heart? Complaints? Frustrations? Cursings? I think what Paul and Silas were doing is that they were prepared for this moment. They had drawn so close to Jesus in the good times so that even when they faced the bad times, they had a song ready in their hearts to sing back to God and to offer thanks to Him. In the good times, do you just go along your way and say, okay, God, just sit over there until I need you again? No, no, no. In the good times, are you singing, praying, thanking God so when you find yourself in a place of opposition, you're ready to give Him thanks? to praise his name. 
So there they are, in the middle of a worship service, in a prison, facing all kinds of opposition, bloodied and beaten and bruised. And all of a sudden, the opportunity shows up. Verse 26 to 28, we see that this uh, supernatural earthquake happens. In fact, in, in Philippi, in this pagan culture, it's believed every time an earthquake happened, it had to do with the force of the gods who were angry or something. Well, the God of the universe shows up, and he provides an earthquake right then and there to deliver his sent ones, Paul and Silas. Their bonds are loosed. The doors are open. I mean, this is not like the other accounts in Acts where an angel comes to Peter one night and says, come out. And so Paul and Silas, they're just waiting there. There's no clear instruction. Their, their bonds are set free. The doors are open. And these other prisoners are inspired. They're like, this is amazing. We've heard these guys singing and praying and an earthquake happened. We should stay close to them. And so they're all hanging out there in the prison, but they have the freedom to walk out, but they decide not to. Why? Because there's an opportunity that Jesus is leading Paul and Silas to. They waited. They saved the jailer's life from punishment. You see, the jailer, he was in charge to make sure these prisoners didn't go free. And, it, and it, he assumed, okay, this happened, the doors are open, I'm a dead man. And so he says, instead of being brought in front of the whole council and being brought to shame, I'm just going to fall on my own sword. And Paul says, stop, don't do it, we're all still here. And this jailer can't believe it. His life has been spared. His physical life has been saved. I'm not going to be punished, and I was about to take my own life. But these singers and prayers to this Yahweh God and to this Jesus, this Jesus Christ, they decided to stay, and it does something in the jailer's heart that's interesting. I would be like so grateful. Thank you. I'm not going to die, but what happens to him? He's trembling, and he's in fear, and he comes to Paul and Silas. Why? Because he had heard the message that Paul and Silas had been preaching. That this Lord and Savior Jesus is Lord of all. And he's seen this earthquake and he realized, my life has been spared, but I know there's something going on spiritually. You know a God that I know nothing about. Tell me, isn't this question beautiful? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Friends, I hope you're praying for that. I hope you're praying for your ones, the, the, the people in your life that, you, that God has put you in their lives to live sent to. You say, Lord, I pray that my friend, my sister, my brother, my parent, my uncle, my son, my daughter, my neighbor, my coworker, that they would get to this moment in their lives that even if they face opposition, they would see there's an opportunity to hear good news and say, what must I do to be saved? What a question. What a question. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He saw his sinfulness. He knew he needed to be saved. And I love this. Friends, if you haven't memorized this, memorize Acts 16.31. They said to the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Your narrative, the events of your life, even the opposition you may feel has been building to this moment. And then here it comes, the opportunity to speak good news. Maybe, why did you get laid off? Why, why did you face all this opposition? Why are these relationships broken? What's going on? Because maybe, just maybe, the Lord has a Philippian jailer in your life that's going to come to you and say, tell me about this faith that you've got. Seize the moment. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Christian and, and also not yet follower of Jesus, I, I want to ask you this. You may view the opposition or trials in your life that, as evidence that God doesn't exist. He doesn't care. 
If God was there, I, this wouldn't have happened to me. I wouldn't have got this diagnosis. I wouldn't have gone through this trial. God doesn't care. Maybe God's abandoned me. Friend, as we see for this Philippian jailer right here, it may be the opposition as the necessary thing to get to the moment where you realize, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Think about you as a follower of Jesus. If you're living sent, friend, all the stuff that you're going through, it could be a moment where the Lord is leading to that one person that says, tell me about your faith. I've seen you singing. I've seen you praying. You just got laid off. You just got diagnosed with cancer. What gives you so much joy? Let me tell you, because I have a Savior who's strong. And he's given me a hope that is unshakable. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved too. I love what, uh, I love what happens here at the end of this section of the story. The jailer, what does he do? He, he washes their wounds as he gets his sins washed away. He says, come on, I'm going I'm I'm to take care of you guys. Because the jailer, he believes. He believes in the Lord Jesus. He washes their wounds and he gets baptized. It's a beautiful exchange, right? This jailer is transformed. His sins are washed away. And I love that he, went, he goes, as verse 34 says, he goes from trembling to rejoicing. My life has been turned upside down by these guys who were singing in my prison after this earthquake. And they've led me to the one who gives me eternal life. That's what we want. But we, sometimes we have to wait in the midst of the opposition to see the opportunity. I love in The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R. Tolkien, there's a conversation between Frodo and Gandalf. And Frodo has the ring, and man, it's a, just a tough, tough journey. And they're in this dark, deep cave, and Frodo looks at the wizard Gandalf, and he says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. I wish this evil, wicked ring didn't come to me and that all this bad stuff was happening to me. And Gandalf has just such an awesome response. He says, so do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. You may be thinking to yourself, friend, I wish I didn't have to go through this. I wish I could be immune from this pain. I wish I could be immune from this opposition. And the Lord, our great King of the universe, says, I know you don't, but I'm not asking you to figure out what's best. I'm asking you to obey and trust me because I have an opportunity for you. Will you decide to obey and trust me in the time that's given to you right now? That may be where you're at today. God may be putting you through the storm right now, through a trial right now, through a testing right now, because he's got a Philippian jailer in your life that needs to hear the good news of the gospel. So while you're waiting, will you sing? Will you pray? Will you trust and say, Lord, show me the opportunity in the midst of the opposition? Finally and thirdly, and we're not going to look at this too long, there's political opposition. Paul and Silas, they're there, and, and the police say, okay, you can go now. The magistrate's like, go ahead and go. Paul and Silas, Paul says, heck no. <laughs> What's going on here? They beat us unjustly. They put us out there publicly, and now they're going to come secretly and let us out. They need to know something, because the Lord Jesus has designed my life so that I would be a, royal, a Roman citizen, and here I am, and I've been mistreated, and they need to know about this. See, Paul's not gain, seeking to gain political authority. He's using the political advantages that the Lord has put into his life to say, I'm here, and I want you to know that what you've done to me is unjust. 
Friends, we have to see that the political advantages that we have as Americans isn't to give us more power, but it's to give us opportunities to live sent, to live sent. I read several commentaries to figure out what in the world is Paul doing? Because he could have spoke up when he was about to get beaten. Oh, I'm a Roman citizen. Don't beat me. In that moment, he realized, no, 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 something's going on here. Jesus has a plan for us. But in this opportunity, now he sees, I've been treated unjustly for the sake of these Philippian believers. And I want the magistrates to know that they can't treat the church this way. Paul uses his political advantage in this moment to help his fellow brothers and sisters live sent in Philippi after he goes. It's an amazing advantage that he has here. He uses their citizenship to uphold political freedoms that they were due and to provide future protection for the believers at Philippi. I love how the story ends. They, were, they went out of the prison and they went and they visited Lydia in her house. And I can imagine, there they are in this brand new church with brand new believers. There's the Philippian jailer sitting over there with his family. There's the slave girl that was set free there's this new family that's here, and Paul, as a loving spiritual dad, has said, and I've ensured that they're not going to bother you for a while. He used this political advantage and even this political opposition to live sent. That's why God has given us the freedoms we have, friends, the freedoms that we have in this beautiful, wonderful country. It's not to serve your own desires. It's to go and live sent in the most effective way that we possibly can because our Lord and Savior can turn opposition into opportunities to live sent. Paul writes later on, he leaves Philippi, and, and later on he writes a letter back to those Philippian believers. And he says in Philippians 1, 27 to 30, he says, you have seen the conflict that I went through. I think he's referring back to this, that Paul and Silas went through. You, you've seen what I went through, all the opposition that I faced. And, and I see that you're now engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and hear that I still have. But I want to let you know, don't see this oppos op opposition as a closed door. See it as an opportunity. Don't be frightened by anything from your opponents. Why? This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but your salvation and that from God. Live sent. As we close this service here in just a few moments, I want to let you know, when we say live sent, that doesn't mean just go live sent when only when the doors are open, only when things are easy, only when you get that promotion, only when things are going good for you. Go and live sent, even in the midst of the opposition, because our Lord and Savior can turn opposition into opportunities. As I close the message here today, I, I just I have to share a story with you. I got a photo here for you of, a, of some really precious friends of mine. Recognize these guys, right? Fernando and Naomi Alconga. This is a Filipino pastor, uh, Pastor Fernando. And Fernando and Naomi, they were uh, at our church in California, and they were, uh, they were new. I uh, was just getting to know them a little bit, uh, ministered in the Philippines for a long, long time. And uh, they were there because they wanted to join our kids' ministry. And I was overseeing the kids' ministry at our church in California. And so I received an application, and I had to do an interview. And usually I'd review the application. It had some basic, you know, questions. But a lot of times we'd have to ask background questions, right? Because just like that church, this church too, we care about your little ones. We want to make sure that the people are caring for your little ones are those that are, they're going to be safe with, right? And so I had, I had to check this out. And, and this friend, Fernando, he had checked off on the application that he had actually been arrested and been put in prison for a while. It's like, oh, oh okay, well, I need to follow up on that, right? So I'm, I'm looking into this and I'm thinking maybe it was when he was a young man, you know, he got into some trouble before he, you know, became a Christian or whatever. And so I'm there asking him and it didn't take very long for me to realize this man should be interviewing me, 
not me interviewing him. Am I qualified? So let me just tell you briefly the story of Fernando and Naomi Alcongo. Pastor Fernando, uh, he was uh, in November of 2002, he was pastoring as a missionary uh, in, uh, in the Middle East, in a, in a Muslim country. Uh, and he was there for a while, and he was, he was there, uh, and he couldn't openly always preach the gospel. It was illegal to, uh, to evangelize for Christianity, uh, but they knew that he was a religious leader, and he was there to, to, to help Christians and, and lead the church and whatnot. And so uh, he was there one time in, in November, and uh, he got arrested. Uh, he stayed 36 days in detention, but he should have been released in, in three days, um, but what happened was, is that he was there uh, and, and he, was, uh, he fell asleep in his car and somebody found him with a bunch of like tracts and Bibles and, and Christian materials there and uh, they questioned him. In fact, he, uh, he had some videos and stuff like the Jesus film. I don't know if you're familiar with the Jesus film. And, and he was there and he was there to give it to, uh, to, to knock on somebody's door. He was invited to come over and, and he was going to give it to them. But this person was kind of like an un- undercover spy. They wanted to see what is this guy really doing? And uh, he, wouldn't, he wasn't selling it, uh, he, and they realized that he was actually uh, evangelizing, and so he got, he got arrested. I love this story, though. Fernando's facing opposition. This is why he's out there in, the, uh, in, in prison. Uh, and so as he's being arrested, he was, uh, he was there, and, and he's sharing the gospel, word-of-mouth tracks, handing out Bibles especially on Islamic holidays as gifts. He had a good reception when he was handing out Bibles. He even gave out the New Testament in Arabic. Uh, he was more bold than some of the missionary, uh, missionary nationalities. Fernando was negotiating the release of Filipino prisoners. He was doing a lot of good there. He ministered at the Filipino embassy. Uh, he had a deal with the police that he could give out Bibles. Uh, he was dealing with other justices. Uh, but on his birthday, he had bags of tracts, like I mentioned before, in multiple languages, in Jesus films, in Arabic, and an Arabic New Testament. He passed them out during Ramadan holiday, and following the morning after his birthday, a police in civilian clothes approached wanting to buy books. He says, I don't, I don't sell them, I give them out for free. A, a Muslim Egyptian had reported him as evangelizing and proselytizing, which were illegal. The undercover police officer invited Fernando back to headquarters, uh, and they interrogated him for five hours, and no contact was allowed with anyone. Finally, he was allowed to call his wife, Naomi, and she and their son were okay. They hadn't got to them. Uh, they were more worried that he had got into a car accident when he had called. But, but uh, this is what they asked him. Why, have you, uh, why, why did you do this when, they gave, when we gave you residency? He says, I told you, I'm a man of God as a profession when I applied. And they asked him, who's your leader? Fernando said this, my only leader is Jesus. I love that. Where did you get all these materials? Fernando said, he explained it without giving up other colleagues and missionaries. He's like, I just came with it. And he was arrested. The missionary organization, they provided a crisis team for him. But he ended up staying, like I said, detention 36 days. They asked him to sign a document that he couldn't read in Arabic. He was, he was trapped because he would not sign the document. And what they were trying to do is to cause him to sign something against Islam so that they could prosecute him more. He signed it and it did create more problems. The authorities changed his case from evangelizing and proselytizing to abusing Islam, which was equal in the law to uh, raping a woman, and it was punishable by death. Representatives from the Filipino and American governments, they went to visit him. The U.S. Embassy appealed the charges. The U.N. was notified of his case. The U.S. Department uh, reported, uh, State Department reported on it. In fact, I think you can Google his name and find out some of the stories. But there he is in prison. 
for doing the thing that Jesus called them to do, to live sent. In fact, this is so touching. Naomi and Fernando's anniversary was celebrated while he was in prison. She came and visited him, and I, I was weeping as they told the story. They just put the hands on the glass on the other side to one another. Celebrating an anniversary while he's in prison for Jesus. The irony of his suffering, he was provided with a bed and a blanket, pillows, meals, snacks, newspapers, hot water, all this. He felt comfortable somewhat, but he had feared that he might be killed by police officers who were investigating and who could have been radical Muslims. And he wasn't convinced of the, of the legal system. After 36 days, he was released from the detention facility to wait for court dates. And as his case was being reviewed, now listen to this, the opportunity in the midst of the opposition. In his case, as it was being reviewed, the highest group of scholars, as they were reviewing his case, it was required that all the materials he was passing out would have to be reviewed. This is gospel materials now. And one level of authority, they looked at it and they said, well, we got to send this up the, up the ladder. It got sent up the ladder so far that the highest group of Muslim scholars and sheikhs had to read his materials. Bibles, New Testaments in, in, in Arabic, tracts. They were required to watch the Jesus film as they were reviewing his case. And I talked to my friend Fernando, and God in his mercy delivered him out of it, and he was sent home. He had to leave the country. But I asked him about that. I said, Fernando, that is so hard. Weren't you afraid? Weren't you scared? I mean, after all of this, did you regret that you went there and did this facing all this opposition? And he said, Matthew, I was just so thankful that I was able to reach a group of people, Muslim leaders, that there's no way I could have ever reached otherwise. He said, Matthew, in the midst of all that opposition, the Lord Jesus gave me an opportunity, an opportunity. Sounds a lot like Paul and Silas, right? Here he is. Friend, if, if you feel like you're facing so much opposition today, know this, that our Lord Jesus, the mighty king over all the universe, is a great savior, and he can give you the opportunity that you've been praying for, even in the midst of the opposition. I'm gonna ask the, the worship team to come up. Thank you for allowing me to share that story. It took a little longer than I anticipated, but I wanted to share Fernando's story with you. What does this mean for Monday as we close in prayer? I want to ask you, believer, follower of Jesus, sent one, what kind of opposition are you facing? What kind of negative circumstances are you feeling? Don't assume that those negative circumstances are working against you. In fact, they may be the very means our Lord and Savior has determined to bring you to your moment of opportunity to shine the light of Jesus Christ, don't stop singing. Don't stop praying. Don't stop waiting. Don't stop trusting. The Lord may have a Philippian jailer in your life that he wants you to share the good news with. And for those of you that are here today looking, maybe you're, I'm not yet a follower of Jesus. I'm just exploring this stuff. We want you to know here today that to be a follower of Jesus, it's the same process as this Philippian jailer. You don't have to all of a sudden sign up to give a certain amount of money to this church. You don't have to give a dime, friend. It doesn't mean that you have to sign up to serve on all these volunteer teams. You don't have to do any of that. In order to be saved and to become a part of God's family, it's simply this, Acts 16, 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's the offer to you today. It's the same offer that Paul and Silas gave in that Philippian jail 2,000 years ago. It's just as relevant here today. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You will be saved to 
have all your sins washed away today. I invite you. We're going to have some prayer counselors to your right in just a few moments. If you want to receive that salvation in the name of Jesus, talk with them. Come find me. Come find one of our leaders, our elders. We want you to know that you have eternal life. Through Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who can turn every opposition into an opportunity for salvation and living sin. Why don't you stand as we close in prayer and in a song here today. Our Lord in heaven, we thank you so much. There is no principality, no power, no physical persecution. There is no political persecution or opposition that can stand in the way of Jesus and his church to live sent. And so would you help us to keep singing, to keep praying, even as Paul and Silas did in that prison, trusting that you've got an opportunity for us. And Lord, we ask for the one here today that does not yet have salvation, does not have yet the forgiveness of sins that's offered through the gospel, would you lead their hearts and minds to say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.